uh, I thought in advertising was this creative business and uh, you know but yeah it seems that you know I didn't go to the right university or you know I wasn't the right fit let's say. Welcome to Everyday Leadership, podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways and on this podcast they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. Morning and welcome to Everyday Leadership. This morning I have the pleasure of sitting down with Mr. Dino Myers-Lanti. How are you doing, sir? I'm very good, thank you. I see you've been um, out there enjoying the the snow (laughs) with the kids this morning as well. That's right, you've got to take it every opportunity. Fresh snow, fresh powder. It feels like it's been a while. Um, but uh, yeah, we have we have hills in Tunbridge Wells, so um, yeah, you've got to you've got to turn them into the peaks of the Alps nowadays, haven't you? Because uh, <laughs> that seems like a distant memory. <laughs> oh man, I can't. I was saying this to someone yesterday. I can't wait to travel again. You know, I I really do miss having a different experience in different countries. D- don't don't tell yourself that. You're only you know you, you need to have low expectations in this period. <laughs> The longer you can keep your expectations lower, the happier you'll be. Oh, uh, no. Nah, the, hope, the hope stays alive. The hope is not going to go away. I'm staying 2021. It's going to happen. I don't know. It might be December 2021, but it's going to happen this year sometime. <laughs> you'll end up on All a right. cruise. <laughs> Oof. Nah, I'm not. I'm too young for that. <laughs> <laughs> you are the, the founder of um, The Barbershop. And in fact, before we even delve into all of that, I'm actually curious, how did you end up in the creative industry? Because I did my research into you, I found out you had like an economics and philosophy degree. So yeah. I was like two polar opposite. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious, like how did you end up in, in what you're doing, what you've done for the last 17 years? Yeah, great question. Um, so, you know, like all good you know, African families, um, you know, my dad was a doctor and uh, wanted me to be a doctor, wanted all the kids to be doctors. Uh, my mum uh, was, um, you know, a nurse and later on a health visitor, so they all worked in the medical profession. And that was almost like the uh, the guidance and the chosen route. Um, and like, um, you know, all good, uh, I guess, uh, you know, rebellious children, um, that became the last thing that I ever wanted to do. Uh, so if there's one thing I knew that I wasn't going to do, that was to do medicine. Um, and going through kind of school, I guess, um, you know, I naturally, you know, was drawn to the arts, um, but, um, but art, you know, was, was, was almost a guarantee of having a, an unsteady future, let's say. Um, and, you know, I didn't quite have the trust funds in place to, uh, pursue that line of work, but, um, you know, as you do when you're in school and you go through that work experience moment and they run that awful computer trying to find uh, you know, prof- potential professions for you. And, uh, and it comes up with the most kind of uninspiring things possible. So after rejecting a few of those things, I, I basically said that I'd like to work in advertising. And um, I, was, I was put into a company. I found a company in London. So I, was, I grew up in Essex. And um, so I ended up commuting for my work experience um, and went to somewhere near the Barbican. And, uh, and 
it wasn't really an advertising agency. It was more of a printing kind of place. It was more like a design and print operation. So, um, you know, I, I, I've got this kind of memory of I've just been put off from advertising at the age of 14 going, that's all a bit boring, really. I spent all my time kind of like lining up screen prints. And, um, and then the one day that they allowed me onto the, the Macintoshes, I just remember them being really frustrating because they had one button and every time I pressed something, it, there was this quacking sound that, you know, they had this duck quack that was like just going off, going, you've done something wrong, you've done something wrong. I mean, that was like the Mac equivalent of the paperclip then, you know, the annoying thing that should have never been there just reminding you and the rest of the office how much of an idiot you were being. So anyway, I had a kind of a, a very average work experience. Um, so I, I guess after that, I was like, okay, it's got to be something more financial, you know, maths based and whatever else. So, uh, you know, I did you know, maths and, uh, and all, but also art, you know, because I still loved art at, uh, at, at um, A-level. And then when it came to choosing a university uh, subject, it was like, well, what's it going to be? And I think um, economics was the thing that I probably enjoyed most because it had this kind of mix of, you know, the social kind of science as well, you know, how people worked. And then um, uh, philosophy, I just found quite fascinating because I knew nothing about it. Um, but yeah, I knew it was an interesting subject they never taught at school. Uh, and when you look at it and you start applying at universities, you know, I, I did the whole thing of thinking, oh, PPE, you know, I heard about PPE, you know, that sounds quite interesting you know, politics, philosophy and economics. And actually, I, I, I couldn't really care less about the politics part. So um, so that's how I ended up with economics and philosophy. And then, sorry, then after that, the advertising part. So, um, you know, going for university, you know, most of the people that do economics end up in probably the financial related fields or consultancy in some way. Um, but at university, I was, I was very active in doing a lot of extracurricular things. So uh, that was everything from running big kind of club nights like student club nights to um, I was head of advertising of the student uh, so like radio station um, and um, I also um, took an extra year and was a sports sabbatical officer so which was like an elected position in Sheffield University uh, so oh. you had to kind of like you know weirdly do the political thing of doing the hustings and campaigning for yourself um, which was quite quite a hilarious experience um, but I got voted in elected and it was a paid position and I think throughout that whole experience in terms of the number of things that we did, you know, we did things like, uh, you know, really kind of like you know, quite, 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 quite crazy ideas at the time. Like uh, in order to promote a club night, we um, we, we created a magazine, uh, for example, that we distributed for free to tell people that, of course, the best night in town was our club night, um, as well as um, doing various other things that are, uh, are much. You know, if I tell the stories, they, they're quite close to uh, social network kind of like uh you know, like hacking computer uh, uh, networks to email the whole of the university to tell them about a club night, you know, highly controversial stuff at the time. <laughs> um, I managed to get away with uh, not getting kicked out of university uh, for. Um, but ultimately, I think that, um, you know, I got a first for kind of like, you know, advertising, marketing and the whole piece then. Um, and so really, um, straight away after university, the most sensible thing seemed to get a sensible job in a marketing department within a big company. And of course, you know, you, you had at the time, I think it was Mars were the, the biggest payer of, um, of, uh, of, of, of graduate uh, marketing positions. So I went for the Mars scheme. I got down to something like the last 25. I went to the factory in Slough and, um, and I didn't get the job. So then I was like, right, what next? Um, so after that, um, I looked into, you know, different things like, um, 
you know, just uh, you know, other advertising-related fields, and uh, and then I and I applied to all the big-name advertising agencies. I was like, right, let's just go, let's just go advertising agency side. So I sent in CVs <clears throat> to all the Sarchis and Sarchis of this world, and uh, you know, the um, the AMVs and the Ogilvies, um, you know, everything with someone's name above the door. You know, I sent my CV in. Um, I must have sent something like twenty letters or something, and I really wish I had kept them because every single one of them was a rejection. You know, I didn't even get an interview, um, and I thought that you know I was someone who and I had quite a lot of you know varied experience. Let's say at university, I I hustled in a lot of different areas. I thought this is the perfect kind of like you know qualification for it, and little did I know that no, you know, you have to do you know far more or know far more people to get to break into this. Uh, you know, slightly cottage industry, and um, so so. Uh, I mean, I, you know, quite quite an interesting story about my application is that you know I, I was applying in the days when, believe it or not, some companies actually you know, asked you to put your photo in the application form as well. So I remember having a conversation with one person at one company where I actually called them for some feedback because I actually wanted to know why I, at that stage I hadn't got through, yeah. and. Um, you know, and I was one of those that put the, you know, asked for the photo and, uh, and I had this kind of really awkward conversation with the person on the other end. I mean, they probably didn't even really read my CV, but, uh, you know, they were like, oh, you know, and, you know, we just get, you know, we, we get loads of people from, you know, Oxford and Cambridge applying and all the rest of it. And I was like, okay, it's like, that is it. Okay. All right. So, you know, uh, I thought in advertising was this creative business and, uh, you know, but yeah, it seems that, you know, I didn't go to the right university um, or, you know, I wasn't the right fit, let's say. So um, anyway, I, I was still a little bit kind of like um, persistent in this ambition, maybe a bit kind of dumb and naive, but sometimes that's probably what you need. So I kept on looking and I looked on the IPA website, which is like the industry website. And uh, I noticed the jobs you know, kind of page and there were some jobs that were advertised that were for companies that I didn't know even existed. They all sound like pharmaceutical companies and they, um, they had, but they had job descriptions that I found quite interesting. They had things in them that made them sound creative. Um, so, um, you know, one was like, uh, I mean, you know, it, it, they were, they all turned out to be media companies and they were very good at writing what were probably quite some dull jobs in really exciting ways. So one was like a TV <laughs> buyer, one was like a press buyer, you know, and the other one was like a media planner and, but they made them sound so exciting. You're going to work with these brands and all this kind of stuff. So I just kind of like, you know, applied to three of them at the time and a really weird thing happened. I got three interviews. I got three interviews back straight away, 100% record. So I had this kind of like complete start contrasting experience of, of you know, applying to all the places that I wanted to work at, that, you know, everyone knew about, that I knew of as being in the advertising industry. And then suddenly on the IPA website, I found these companies that no one had ever mentioned to me, I never, never come across. And they had ex exciting job descriptions and I got interviews at all three. And they were very different jobs as well. And, uh, and I ended up, you know, um, going to all three. And I got three job offers, you know, so, uh, so I passed, you know, hundred percent in the, in that, in that world. And I, and I chose the company that, um, you know, that whereas the, the job role itself wasn't the thing that excited me the most, but the people at that company were the people that I felt the most confident with. And they, they gave me, they gave me, they came across with the most kind of energy, uh, sense of direction. Um, and I, and I always tell the story that when I look back at it, the really interesting thing is my first boss in media was a guy called Sanjay Shabby, which, um, you know, no clues as to, you know, where he's from. Um, but um, 
and and it was um uh it was his kind of like involvement as well when I think about it now that made me just feel a little bit more comfortable in going and working for that company, which was a much more kind of diverse company, I guess, from the start. And um, and that, that that company was Mediacom. So I started my career there, and that's how I got into the advertising industry. And, well, the rest is 20 more years of stories. Wow. That's a very tenacious way of approaching that. I want to I wanna make this happen. And you didn't, you didn't give up. You just kept in... Even though you kept on getting more and more obstacles in your way, you kept on trying to find ways of overcoming that, which is really, really impressive, to be honest, because a lot of times when you hit that first roadblock, you're like, these companies don't want me. They don't want my face. I'm not the right fit for them. And you kind of back away, but you're like, okay, let me, let me look at a different way of attacking this problem. And three and three, when you put four those three, just the replications, did that also have your face on there as well? Or you take that off? No, no, the media companies never ask for a photo on the application form. I think I think you could say that the media companies were desperate. <laughs> they, uh, you know, where, whereas the uh, the advertising agencies have people queuing up and outside the door, you know, willing to, uh, you know, do very low paid jobs for very long periods of time, just to say they work at somewhere quite high profile and you know and sexy. Uh, you know, media companies were like everyone was like. Yeah, who would want to work in a place like that? But actually, they were really exciting places. And, um, you know, in even with hindsight, I think I fell into the right place. And, you know, and I wouldn't have changed it for anything. Because, um, you know, if you look at the last 20 years in the industry, across media and creative and, and advertising, the story has been the growth of media agencies and the rise of media agencies. And actually, in the, particularly in the last five years, there's been a serious decline in, in advertising and creative agencies in terms of their returns. So uh, all the momentum, all the force has been in the media agency world. And, um, you know, and I've kind of like witnessed and seen through such a transient period of time. You know, when I started my career as a press buyer at Mediacom, you know, FHM was the number one you know, thing, you know, doing over a million copies. Um, you know, the, the press and the magazine world was, you know, was the height of the industry. Um, you know, there were, there were, there were, there were incredible, uh, you know, events. There were, you know, I always tell, you know, having experiences of, uh, you know, the top of the pops, 100th issue party, you know, and, uh, and girls allowed and busted and the cheeky girls are there. And, uh, and this is a media party, you know, and everyone's just having fun. Um, you know, it was those kind of days. Um, where you know it was exciting and there were there was lots of it, and then you go through different phases. Uh, phases, you know, you see the emergence of digital, the growth. You know, I mean, you know, Facebook, uh, two thousand and five, I think. Five, uh, yeah. You know, it came about. Um, you know, you're witnessing this kind of stuff come about uh, and not be, you know, anything, anything, anything big, anything. You know, you're witnessing all the debates about, you know, is it here to stay? Will it make money? Uh, will it not? And then YouTube come along, 2007, I think it is, you know, Twitter, and you've seen all these things emerge, and then you, you're seeing them suddenly dominate. And uh, and the whole kind of landscape change, the whole shift in power, you know, you're seeing the decline of the press institutions, but you're seeing them diversify as well into digital places, and, and you're just seeing it kind of played out. You're seeing, now we're seeing how TV's evolving quite a lot, getting much more into that digital space. Um, so I think it's just that, you know, it's, it's an incredibly exciting kind of place to be. 
and actually I think the power and the strength in you know anyone in the in the marketing industry is keeping at pace with the cha- with the change because um, you know it's very easy you know in most kind of jobs and professions. I think um, you know with time um, you get you know more relationships. You know you can become a little bit kind of wiser, and that's kind of like the power in the job that you know you have this kind of like uh, position of you know your contacts are the key thing. But actually, really, one of the key advantages in the industry that we're in is really understanding the new thing and uh, being on top of it and being comfortable in being able to talk about it and know the benefits of of using that medium, that platform, over using something else. So one thing I just alluded to is the impact that innovation in, has really, really played in the industry, which has driven growth for some companies and decline for, for others. And one thing that we also know is when it comes to innovation, you need a lot of diversity in your organization. However, that's something that, based on what I've, I've read and researched, and obviously you have a better take on this because you've been in interested for the last 20 plus years, there's a lack of diversity and inclusion to a higher level within the industry. So what would you, I'm just curious to see one, what have you seen change over the last 20 years that you've been in that that space? And two, what do you think that, or why do you think a lot of agencies and are struggling to get the right people into their organizations? So, you know, on one hand, I could say that probably not enough has changed. And, and uh, you know, you could definitely look at it and say not, not a lot has really changed. Um, you know, statistically, you know, we know that what's changed is representation and diversity has changed at an entry level uh, across the industry. So the numbers have got greater and it's something, the rest of something around about 16.4% at the moment in terms of, um, uh, you know, ethnic, ethnic minorities um, in uh, agency world. And that's across kind of media and creative. However, you know, the, you know, when you, you know, kind of like look at the, that statistic, you know, you, when you proportion uh, the split that are agencies that are based in London in terms of the workforce that's based in London, which is closer to 40% in terms of the true representation figure, that shows, you know, how, how short uh, the industry is still falling, even at an entry level. Um, the true crisis is when you look at it in terms of how those people are retained throughout the company and how they yeah. progress and rise to the top. And that's when the falls are, you know, are much, much greater. And actually, in the uh, the IPA census on diversity, which was released uh, last year, you know, it was it was shocking, really, because you know the the IPA, you know, four or five years earlier, set a twenty twenty target, which they went backwards on. They went backwards on it in terms of the most kind of senior level, the C suite. Um, you know, it went from five point five point one percent to four point seven, I think it was, in terms of yeah, um, four point seven, yeah, C suite, yeah, representation. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is just plain and simply not good enough, you know, not good enough in the slightest. And so, you know, I mean, you know, the the uh, you know, I I talk about the advertising industry being a little bit like the music industry was pre nineteen fifty nine. And why is nineteen fifty nine important? Well, that was the creation of Motown. So we all know what music was like before nineteen fifty nine, and we all know what music is like now. And you know, yeah, you know, you had, uh, you know, you had uh, elements of diversity. Louis Armstrong was doing his thing in the 1930s and 40s and whatever else, and you know, interesting, cool, a bit different. You know, we all kind of like like the odd kind of like you know swing tune from back in the day, but actually, it's nowhere in comparison to where music is now or what Motown did and what it suddenly brought into the market. And 
And advertising is in a very similar place. It's a relatively young industry, really, when you think about it. Um, you know, all the Mad Men kind of era stuff is, you know, they, they talk in 1960s when that was all kind of like held. And that's really when the, you know, the, the whole thing kind of like boomed. And since then, not a lot has changed, uh, you know, in, in terms of, you know, we've seen rapid change in terms of mediums uh, and you know, digitization of, of the industry in that sense. But in terms of practice and how we do things and how we persuade and how we are creative, you know, not, not a dramatic amount has changed. And, and a large part of that, I believe, is because of the, the same kind of personnel that has been in the business. You know, the, the fact that when I was applying to get into creative agencies, I was really only allowed to go for one type of job, which was the account manager job. And the account manager job, the truth of the matter is, is that I was too creative for those account manager jobs. Because actually the, the process and the structure in creative agencies um, needs dismantling largely because they're not really designed for uh, democratization of creativity. You know, it's very hierarchical. You know, you have a creative department within a creative company. You have account people who are there to manage the client and work and liaise the client. You have strategy people who are there to, you know, come up with briefs and then give them to creatives to then uh, come up with, you know, the design and the, and the work. You, know, you have project managers, you have lots and lots of silos uh, and you have a system of passing work around the different silos. Um, creativity doesn't work like that. You know, creativity can come from anywhere. You know, it's about kind of inspiration, unusual combinations, you know, things coming together, smashing, passionate people with points of views and different perspectives, thinking about things, you know, lone wolves going off on lone, long walks and coming back with, you know, great things, but also working with teams. That's, you know, creativity and innovation is messy it's different. It's, it's, it's it really kind of like, yeah, it's just like the process of making music, for example. Like, you know, if you were going to predict the next hit, you know, you couldn't predict the team that's working on that next hit. There'll be a, probably a different writer, or a different bass player, or, you know, a different producer, you know, even with the same artist, even with Drake, you know, where, where there's probably a formula in a sense of what he's doing. But it's like, you know, there'll be a bunch of different people involved in that next track because that's what you're doing, because... The, the, the true persuasion is which is what we're trying to do which is similar to music in a sense that you're trying to connect you're trying to get people to love something you know and yeah. listen to it time and time again and to go back and it, for it to be memorable to encode that in memory it's not just about doing things that are proven to work it's about doing things that stand out that are different that make people stop and stop in their tracks and go oh wow this is great and it's almost like um this is why you know music will never always be just programmed by an algorithm you know machine learning for example you know you can do that now there's some great you know software out there that can you know turn out tune you know constantly you know it can turn out a hit in terms of you know it knows what a hit looks like um however it will never be a hit it will never be a hit because you know every machine knows how to do that and that becomes the norm that becomes the average very quickly that but you know that good becomes average and actually how do you get to good or how do you get to great well, actually, it's the human element of it, that kind of different mind that goes, hang on a minute, I know that everyone's doing it. I know that that works, but no, no, I'm going to try something different. I want to do something different because I know that actually what I'm trying to do is to get people to notice this. And, and to notice this means it's standing out from the rest of the pack and being different. And standing out from the rest of the pack and being different, if that is one of the key kind of components and ingredients behind, you know, um, uh, behind uh, creativity and and being recognized, then it's also one of the key components of success and results. And that's why it's essential for that it's in, it's in businesses. So when we look at the industry and how it's evolved over the last 20 years, what I've seen is um, 
you know, there's definitely, you know, I mean, you know, to, to be fair as well, you know, we do have to try and uh, segment the industry a little bit, you know, because media has done much, much better than creative and advertising as in, a, in, in the industry. I think, um, you know, the advertising agency world is still very uh, set in its, in, its, in its old school mentality of, you know, um, let's say stereotyping people for certain roles. So if you walk around the average advertising company, you could tell what department you're in just literally by looking at the people that were in it. You know, I mean, even now, yeah, even now. And actually, the, you know, the funny thing is about uh, them is probably the most diverse departments probably will be the creative departments. Um, uh, but, you know, those are people who have probably been through an art school or something like that, you know, in some way or form. And, um, you know, in some of them, uh, if they're lucky enough, they or, or if, if, yeah, if their companies are lucky enough or smart enough, you know, they're working with someone like the SCA, which is the School of Communication Arts which is a, uh, the, the, the world's best kind of like um, creative um, school, um, which is very, um, very fair in a way in which it puts uh, its graduates through. So it has a program where, um, you know, some people are paying the full fee, some people are paying a partial fee, and some people are paying no fees. So it really kind of like democratizes that opportunity in a sense and gives that, you know, equality of opportunity. And actually you do, you know, if you do walk into that school, for example, you will see 40, 50 people that look like society, that look like the world that we live in. And um, and they are a bit of a factory for producing, creating talent that ends up living in some of these kind of, some of the better kind of creative agencies out there. Um, so, you know, that's 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 where you'll get your dose of um, difference in those departments. But, uh, you know, unless you've been lucky to be on some kind of you know, program like that, then, yeah, ultimately, you, you know, your route is, you know, you've got to hope that your parents... Uh, gave you the permission to um you know not earn money for a decent amount of time and pursue the career of your dreams rather than the you know the, the, the career of reality and uh you know maybe in 10 years time you might might make a, a good ad that makes you famous and then you get paid for it that is that is crazy that that's the way it it's it's now i think the reason i'm thinking about so many examples we've seen even in recent times and the, the most recent was was the louis vuitton Jamaica jumper, which had the wrong, wrong colors in there. You've had H and M, Gucci, Pepsi, all over the years. All these different agencies that are putting content out there to a culture that doesn't make any sense, doesn't represent them, doesn't serve them. The adverts actually offensive a lot of the times. Yet they don't seem to want to change the people behind the scenes, the people who are making the decisions. They just keep on getting it wrong. And part of me thinks that is because there is no accountability there's no real fallout people still keep on buying their goods therefore they can keep on doing what they, they want to do or is there something else that can be done to actually hold these kind of organizations to account going forward yeah i mean so um you know I, I, you have to kind of like put it into different kind of like uh categories of offense let's say um, because, you know, some of the things that you mentioned are, you know, you look at them and go, you know, people need to lose their job off the back of that. You know, I mean, they're, they're kind of like, you know, they're, they're so serious, they're, you know, they're, they're almost deliberate. Um, and you're a bit like, hang on a minute, you know, that, that can't work. But I think that, you know, the, the problem that I will attack most is the, um, the culture and the process more than the individuals themselves. Because, um, you know, the, the, the challenge I have about a lot of places where 
you know the the those mistakes are made uh, there are too many people involved in it for those kind of mistakes to be made you know you have a you know brand side the brand owner who ultimately starts off and kicks things off and briefs the agency and that goes to you know as i said before it usually goes to an account director who then goes to a strategy person then goes to a you know uh, the, the the creatives and then it kind of goes back again and um uh, you know, there's quite a lot of people along the process along the way to kind of like go, hang on a minute, this is this is a bit wrong. But the problem is, is that that those some of those finer elements of kind of like a, you know execution, you know, okay, is this person going to be black or white or whatever, or or you know, those aren't scripted a lot of the time. You know, that isn't kind of like in the in, you know in the in the strategy. You know, you might have an audience identified and you know be like, okay, you know, we're speaking to these people and whatever else. You know, but but let's face it, in terms of Unless it is a you know a, a completely you know an ethnically targeted product, you know the chances are it's going to be kind of like yeah we're we're going for you know all different ethnicities, so that kind of gives a license to the person that's actually putting that final casting thing together as to okay is it going to be you know black or white in this instance and all the rest of it, and um, you know there are elements where mistakes get made and they put someone in and you know um, and um, uh, but but the the problem is is that. The process is wrong when when even the most junior person in the room hasn't got the opportunity to, to, to flag something and go, hang on a minute, you know, this is wrong. Um, you know, and, 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 and at this point, you know, the problem is, is that sometimes of these when these mistakes have been made, you've had someone probably ethnic on the team, but they haven't had that kind of permission and psychological safety to stand up and say something against it or to go, hang on a minute, we're, you know, we haven't built in into our process uh, an element of testing and validating whether this is fair and this is fine. You know, because the other thing I have as a slight kind of issue is, you know, there's, there's the tokenism element of some companies that, you know, recruit, uh, you know, someone that's diverse and expect them to be the, the guardian of all diverse voices in the world. Um, you know, and as you and me know, in terms of, you know, different cultures, different countries, different, you know, will have all sorts of different, different generations will have different opinions and different things. So, you know, you've got to realize that it's actually a sensitive and a slightly complicated thing that you need to invest some time and you know have the right kind of relationships with the right people to get the right insight back and but just don't do it lightly don't do it lightly don't rush it uh, assume you're not the expert assume you you know you don't just know um and and then you'll get it right you know assume assume you're kind of like likely to offend if you don't check it you know do your do your appropriate kind of validation of things and and i think the thing is there's a mixture of kind of arrogance and um you know there's a lot of kind of like um you know to be a kind of creative it's a difficult job in terms of, you know, there's ups and downs of, you know, you're basically always judged by your last idea and, you know, there are heroes, you know, when they win awards and then suddenly it's like, you know, they're reduced to nothing when they earn those kind of dark and dull patches as such. And uh, the um, and the issue with that is, is that it's a bit of a confidence game as well. You know, they need confidence, they need to feel good and all the rest of it. But that confidence can can uh, transfer into arrogance and can can, can transfer into making decisions as this kind of lone artist lone genius kind of complex which which is where mistakes can be made um and offenses can be offense can be caused um and i think that the um the, the biggest surprise to me is not that the mistakes have been made but there isn't a rapid acceleration of getting the right kind of stops and checks in place and yeah. also changing the team you know making sure that you have people at all the right levels you know, from all the right kind of backgrounds and places to make sure that your, your culture is just centered in the right place. You're naturally thinking about everyone because that's, you know, that you look around your office and, you, you know, you, when, you, when you're daydreaming in your office and thinking about this idea and imagining things, 
when you look around your, your, you know, your office floor, you've got society in front of you. You've got your customers around, you know, the people you're trying to target around rather than working and thinking within your own bubble. Um, you know, the, the sad reality of, uh, you know, the, the, the industry, the advertising industry is that when you break down and look at that 4.7% of, you know, um, you know, ethnic minorities and, and black people in senior positions, if you, if you take out the people that went to uh, public school, then, then you're down to basically zero, you know? So, so actually, even though it's diverse, it's still from a bubble, you know? And actually these people, if you ask them about their stories, you know, they got in through some kind of, you know, element of privilege, you know, opening the door, you know, they, um, because they had the right things in their CVs, the right story in that sense, then they kind of got through, which, um, which is, which is a shame because as you know, you know, if someone's lived a very kind of different life in a very different environment, they're not speaking for everyone. They're not, they're not, you know, the same as the, um, you know, the kids that have been, you know, uh, growing up in Hackney, for example. Um, so yeah, um, I think that the process the admission of like, um, you know, understanding that, you know, you, you, you don't know the audiences and, and as well as, as well as um, you could do. I mean, you know, this, all right, the slight kind of like um, challenge in what, in what I'm saying is the job and a role of a strategic person is to understand the audience and to empathize with that audience and to try and unpick the insights in that audience to know why they're doing something and to what, what kind of makes them tick. Um, it is incredibly hard to know people that well, but it is quite easy to know people quite you know, on a shallow level, on a general level. You know, so almost like it's quite it's 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 quite easy to predict what a crowd might do. You know, so um, let's pick, for example, the uh, the American elections and the Capitol, you know, kind of a protest and the invasion. You know, it was it was it was quite easy probably to predict that okay if they're going to march they're going to probably something bad's going to happen you know and and it's going to turn pretty nasty and then you know and, and it's going to escalate and people will die and um you know all sorts of kind of all sorts of negative things will happen in that sense you know in terms of as a on a, on a very kind of like individual basis you know you, you it can it can be incredibly complex because you know when you sit down with people on an individual level you know you realize the nuances you realize that, oh, the background, okay, oh, actually, they see it like this, they see it like that. People are a lot more kind of complex on that kind of sophisticated level. Um, and it's one of, it's one of the, um, the, the, the fascinating things that Malcolm Gladwell talks about in his, um, his book, Talking to Strangers, as well, about how we, we often kind of like, you know, default to um, giving people the, kind of the benefit of the doubt and believing they're talking and saying the truth. And actually, no, hang on a minute, you know, when we dig into it, it's a little bit more complex than that. And people are harder to read and understand than you you might think, um, and I think that's I think that's the truth, um, and I think that that's why we we have to respect the fact that, you know, we don't know individuals and cultures on the levels that we need to know them to be confident in, you know, sending out our advertising communications, you know, um, as we script them, for example. Yeah, that is so that is so true. I think even for someone on the outside looking in, that's. Everything you talked about around having that psychological safety to to speak up, around the the bubble that has been created, because I know in the creative industry especially is one that's around like free internship referral schemes, and it kind of keeps that whole circle kind of going because it's if it's the same networks tapping into the same networks and the same universities or, or friendship groups, nothing's really ever going to change. Like you said, when you look outside your window, everyone you see, it just represents who you are. There is no change. There's no thought that goes into your head. 
which is why it's so important that you need that diversity in your organization, but not only just have it there, but actually have the inclusion bit where they can actually speak up and have their voices heard and be like, no, that's not right. No, we can't send that out. And have that stop, <laughs> that stop gap that be like, this is not the one. We need to do something different. And um, yeah, the, you know, the, the, and sorry, one of the things I was going to say was about this kind of like um, realizing the potential of, you know, let's say the case for diversity. So the, 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 the first thing that I think is slightly disappointing is you now I've sat in those rooms with, you know, CEOs that couldn't really see the benefit of um, hiring someone from a, um, a, a different kind of background, let's say, you know, with a, a lower kind of like educational kind of status in terms of qualification than someone that's recently graduated from Oxford and Cambridge, for example. You know, they, they genuinely couldn't understand the difference because, you know, let's, let's, let's put it this way, on paper, you know, you're going for the most qualified person, you know, in terms of the highest, most intelligent person as such on paper. So that's what you're going for. And to some degree, you know, if that is your kind of like parameter of success, then then kind of like, great. I mean, I, I would challenge that kind of approach to say you need to change your, you know, your, your kind of like a, your scorecard as to what success yeah. looks like, because actually... You know that person is the person that's going to make a mistake when they're judging the creative work as to whether it's relevant to everyone or or not. And that person won't have that kind of point of view. But actually, you know, whenever I've been in that kind of situation, I've realised that I'm in the room with people that don't understand creativity and don't understand actually how to do it. You know, the truth of the matter is that most people that run um, advertising agencies are um, are good people that are you know safe pair of hands, solid account people. You know, really good with clients. Um, you know, they were, they were, they came up through that route, um, but they were never allowed to have ideas. You know, the, the chief creative officer always stays as the chief creative officer most of the time, unless they go and set up their own agency. The majority of the time they are, you know, running the department and they are treated like the gods in the company. But ultimately the CEO or the person in charge has come up through that kind of account management line. And in the creative agency world, in lots of them, the way they operate is that actually that person's not allowed to come up with ideas, you know, how dare they, you know, that's, that's not their job. You know, they, so, so they're, they're almost not looking for that person to be creative. They're looking for them to be compliant and to be, you know, a safe pair of hands. And um, the worst word that, um, you know, I, I will choose to use is, um, is agreeable. You know, um, the, uh, you know the reason why I, I say that word is because I remember talking to someone who said that, yeah, what really stood out to them when they were applying for a job of a company I won't mention um, was um, the fact that this word jumped out of them that really stood out, which was agreeable, this person looking for someone that was agreeable. And it just stuck in their heads as being, that is such an odd word to use. Um, you know, you're going for a high profile job, you know, you, you, you're asked to make decisions and really kind of lead teams and all the rest of it. And it's like, hang on a minute, be agreeable. It's like, well, sometimes I won't, you know, I might not be because, you know, sometimes tough decisions may have to be made. And That's the whole else, point. That kind of thing. That's the whole point, exactly. Yeah, but actually, what what a lot of the people are trying to you know do by design is create an environment that people feel, you know, they feel comfortable in and protected in a sense, and um, and they don't feel uneasy with that kind of like um, potential disruption and you know, conflict. Um, but creativity is, you know, is comfortable conflict in that sense. You know, it is clashing of ideas and thoughts and all the rest of it, but ultimately leading to a better place. Um, you know, doing it with that kind of like. Uh, you know, that kind of, you know, good kind of like goal and spirit and high, you know, the right kind of values in mind. Uh, I think, I think, I think it's really interesting in terms of, um, you know, the, you know, when we, uh, what was it, about, about this time last year, coming up to this time last year when uh, the pandemic hit and the last dance was on. So, um, you know, the, the Michael Jordan documentary. Michael Jordan, yeah. Um, yeah, which, um, 
you know, a lot of people had strong views on in terms of, you know, it was great documentary, but a lot of people, you know, I found it quite interesting how, um, and I, 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 you know, I used to be a massive Michael Jordan fan. I used to play a lot of basketball, you know, quite a high level as well. And I had friends who went to America and played there and things like that. So I watched it with, you know, very, a lot of detailed interest. And, um, and a lot of people were like, oh, you know, but he wasn't a nice guy though, was he? He wouldn't have been nice to play with and all that kind of stuff. And I was just like, I found it really interesting that conversation because I was like, well, that's what, that's what winning is like. You know, that is what <laughs> winning at that level. It gets ugly like. sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, it's ugly sometimes. I mean, you know, I was kind of like, he didn't come across to me as being, you know, oh my God, this, you know, some of the things he did was just like completely terrible. I was just like, he was just hard of people. He was like, you know, you know, this is your job. You know, that's one of the quotes he said to me. It's the guy, this is your job. You know, and it is, you know, this is your job. You know, you're playing, you're, you know, you're, here, to, you're here to win. And, um, and it's going to be hard. It's going to be, you know, there, there will be some times when you can be light and relaxed and all the rest. And there's times when you just got to, you got to learn the drills, learn the drills and do the thing. And that's, you know, if, if you're there to win and you you know you, you're setting your, you know you've got an opportunity to be the best then why you know then why not go for it if you're if that's your profession in that sense um you know if you want to if you're happy with average then there are plenty of places to go and be average and i think that that's one of the, the key things about companies and let's say diversity as well like my my view on diversity and about advising companies has changed largely and it's gone from you know from from having this kind of position of you know, everyone's kind of like trying and let's help them be better and, you know, and kind of like, you know, co you know help them tell them what to do in a sense and, yeah, and, and hold their hand a little bit to go, no, sorry, you know, everyone knows what to do. You know, everyone's clever enough to work this out. You know, if, 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 if there was a brief on the table in an advertising agency about how do you increase diversity in this advertising, it would be solved within half a, you know, half a day, be done. Yeah, you know, if you know what I mean, it'd be done. Success, results will be coming in tomorrow. And no one treats it like that. No one treats it like a brief, you know, no one kind of like wants that kind of, you know, rapid kind of change so so i i, I give people you know I, I don't treat people like fools and i say you know if it matters enough to people then they will do it and um and and what i want to do is celebrate the companies that are doing it and demonstrate how more successful they're being and part of that is this kind of circle of accountability so the bit that falls down in in the advertising world is clients and brands have to feel the same way and clients and brands who are the budget holders have to start demanding more from their agencies in, in that perspective and they have to start demanding more from themselves because the elephant in the room here is the lack of diversity in marketing departments yeah you know there is there is a tragic lack of diversity in marketing departments it isn't even accounted at the moment you know there's not a, a central census at the moment there is one to be launched soon but there isn't so if you ask you know ISBAR, you know what is the, the the demographic kind of makeup and the ethnicity of you know marketing teams they don't know which you know says it all really you know because a lot of people probably don't want to know how bad it actually is um but there's a lack of you know there's a lack of you know bayman black cmos you know you can count them on your hand um you know and um and so so the, the thing about that is is that yeah the it's um you know it, it's this circle of accountability that the clients have got to start holding you know, agencies to account and then the better agencies will start to win because of it you know, will start to win, they'll start to get the work, they'll start to demonstrate the difference. They won't make those mistakes. They won't make those mistakes of getting those ads out there that offend, that suddenly reduce, you know, that the stock price goes down because it's caused massive offense. And the other kind of part of the circle of accountability is consumers are getting smarter now. You know, the great the great thing about the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and, and the tragic events of last summer was as soon as brands jumped on the bandwagon and started posting the black squares and started going, you know, showing some kind of element of solidarity people were quick to go hang on a minute look at your board 
hang on a minute, look at this, look at your team. How can you say that if you're not doing it? And that was the best thing about it, that, you know, doing it all at the same time. So that suddenly it was, people were being assessed about, you know, about what they were doing and the inner workings of their companies, because the two things have to live together. How you are inside is how you, you know, should be outside as well. And how you are outside should be what you're like inside. And, um, and I think that's the best thing about it, this kind of circle of accountability. Now consumers are in the act of holding companies to account into the way they communicate about these issues. And so therefore, you know, advertising becomes less of a, uh, I mean, in a more general sense, you know, I believe that advertising is less of a, oh, it's a risky kind of like costly thing that might gain us a lot, you know, to actually, it's this, this is like a, this is like a legal kind of issue where if you get it wrong, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're losing money. You're losing money a lot because people are walking away and going, rejecting you, actively rejecting you. You know, typically advertising seen as, oh, we just won't gain a lot, you know, if no one responds to this advertising campaign. And then we'll just plod along and we'll lose a bit of money in the production of it. No, no, actually, you know, people will actively walk away from you as a brand. Everyone has choice right now. You know, choice is choice, limitless. You know, this whole paradox of choice, there's limitless choice. Digital transformation, particularly in the last year, as every high street brand and all the rest of us gone, oh, well, oh, I need to start trading online now. Um, has made it so much more easier. You know, everything can be delivered tomorrow. So, you know, now people have got that kind of infinite choice. They don't have to stick around. They don't have to be loyal to you. Um, and, and if they see a campaign on social that is campaigning against a certain brand, then that's it. With a, a couple of clicks of their button, that's it. You're out of their shopping basket and someone else is in. And so it all becomes very real for brands. That's like a like a mic drop moment. <laughs> because it's the rally to do that's that's you that's you effectively hitting them where where it hurts. Where you're making them take account for the fact that because consumers are a lot wiser than they used to be and therefore they're going to make decisions and vote their their pockets and their and their money brands who pay for a lot of these agencies now need to understand the reputational risk that comes with working with people who aren't necessarily taking this seriously as well because it goes all the way up and down that whole supply chain and once you start starting to do that that's how you start to get Changes and other um, organizations and other industries are starting to like link the su- their supply chain to their whole performance rather than just looking at it in isolation. So when agencies start to do that and organizations who are paying for the digital start to do that, then it makes such a massive difference throughout the whole um, supply chain completely. And um, one, yeah. thing I, one thing I want to ask you about was obviously you created the barbershop a number of a number of years ago. I'm curious, what why did you decide the barbershop? Yeah, so there's a number of different reasons why I chose the name The Barbershop. Um, so let me, I mean, I'll, I'll start it off in terms of the chronological order, the way in which I've been talking about those reasons. So the first thing is, is when you um, decide to name anything, uh, you know, and it started off by thinking, okay, planning to do this as a venture, you know, leaving the, the comfort of, you know, kind of big agency kind of network world. Um, you know, it's quite a big plan, but you start to notice, you know, naming becomes important. It's like, well, what am I going to call it? Um, and, uh, and, and you notice everything, you notice words everywhere, you know, everything that's, you know, in, in life, you just go, oh, would that be a good name? Um, and so as walking around, um, you know, as we used to do, you know, walking around high streets and things in the good old days, um, you know, (laughs) back in a day, in my day when I used to walk around the high street. Um, (laughs) so, so yeah, you noticed a lot of, I noticed a lot of, um, barbershops, you know, all sorts of different kind of shapes and sizes and they're all beautiful and you know, lots of things, you know, you, I was like, this is like the new thing, isn't it? And like, they're suddenly like, you know, and you, and you know, I'm a man of little hair, 
So I have I have little reason to hang out in a barbershop these days. For it's been it's been a while actually, and um, so I, I'd never have a reason to go inside them. But I, you know, I'd always observe from the outside and go, oh, "That looks like a nice place to you know spend some time and get your hair cut." And um, so that was one of the reasons. And then, and then um, uh, someone came and presented to me, who um, who um, their business was um, digital screens in chicken shops, and they use the analogy of how chicken shops in London were a bit like barber shops in terms of these kind of like community kind of spots where people would go and congregate and stuff and hang out and you know like a, a kind of like a cultural kind of spot. And I like that idea, that kind of analogy, because when they start to talk about barber shops, it's like yeah, you know, gathering and people just like congregating, talking, discussing, debating, you know, having disagreements, but you know, still always kind of like you know getting on and stuff. You know, I thought that was great. Um, you know, it reminded me of the days when I did go to the barbershop. And, um, and then, uh, and then um, I also like the idea of the fact that every barber had this relationship with their client where, you know, the, the client would only ever come back if they liked the work they did. You know, so they had this kind of, you know, brilliant kind of trusting kind of relationship, uh, which was very kind of like personal. And, um, and they would use the kind of the same tools as everyone else, but have, you know, incredibly different kind of creative creations with those tools. So, you know, the skill was in the person using the tools rather than just the tools themselves, which I thought was quite a nice analogy for the work that we do. Um, the other kind of part of it was, um, you know, this, this, uh, yeah, this kind of like, uh, this, 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 I mentioned the kind of the congregating, the conversations, which I like, I like a lot in terms of those kind of like challenging talk and, um, and, um, and then the, uh, the other couple of things that I say is that, uh, the first ever business I ever started was a barbershop. So, um. You know, back in the day, you know, in South End, South End on Sea, um, you know, I used to um, uh, start off, you know, I, I cut my brother's hair, he'd cut my hair, and then we'll cut some friend's hair. And my brother produced some cards. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to start, you know, getting more customers. And, um, and he, you know, he, he produced these cards called, um, you know, uh, he called his business Rough Cuts. So I was like, all right. Like so I produced my cards called them Slim Trims. <laughs> so it's like, rough Cuts versus Slim Trims. And there we were giving out giving out our flyers <laughs> to people we didn't know, uh, little cards, little printed out cards, and um, and then so that became a bit of a you know a bit of an income stream you know cutting hair in my mum's you know our house uh, um, for for friends and strangers, um, so I was a bit like okay well you know if it all fails at least I can use the URL for something else, um, and uh, and uh, and go go back to being a barber, um, but uh, but the other kind of like slightly more the the other funny reason is that. Um, my middle name is Desmond, so uh, <laughs> you know, that, that, that joke only makes uh, people over the age of forty laugh. <laughs> I'm not forty; that I know it. Like, that's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Slim cuts. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. The, that, well, while while we're on the subject of kind of naming, um, you know, a bit of a, a bit of kind of like a branding and kind of naming advice that, um, that I once got from someone who spent a lot of time, you know, branding and naming, and said to me, "You know what the best name you know is for a brand?" He said, "The name that the client wants." <laughs> he said that uh, you know he spent years and years and years, you know, going through these names and going through the meaning of this name, that name, that name, and all the rest of it, you know. At the end of the day, you know, it all comes down to, you know, what the client's comfortable with and, you know, and, and what they're going to kind of back and support because naming is so subjective. You know, it's kind of like it could be anything. 
and it's about the meaning that you give that name and in terms of what you do and how you do it and all the rest of it. You know, every name can be ripped apart and can be looked at and gone, oh no, you know, it's not great because of this. I mean, look, I mean, Apple as a name, let's say, you know, you know, it's just an apple, you know, and you could go through all the different fruit, fruits in the world and call another company that fruit, you know, why Apple rather than anything else? It's like, you know, there's no, you know, there's no, there's no kind of, oh yeah, because Apple means this and that and all the rest of it. No, no, it's just a nice word that has been given meaning. And now you can't say the word Apple without thinking creativity, you know, like, you know, you get inspired by it, but that's because of everything they are as a company rather than the name itself. And um, so, um, you know, remember Orange? That was a great name, wasn't it? Yeah. Mobile, mobile phone network, Orange. Wasn't that great until the, you know, the, the company, whichever company came along and said, oh, no, 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 we don't like that name anymore. We're going to call it something else. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so I think my point about that is, is, is to never get, spend too much time worrying and obsessing about your name. You know, get, seek opinion, but, you know, once you, you know, get something you like, you know, inject it with purpose and meaning. I just run with it. That is yeah. very, very good advice, actually. Because I think that's... that's I mean, make sure it can be found on the URL, on the searching, in the Google searches as well. <laughs> no, I think for, for us, I know that's something that a lot of people spend a lot of time fixated on, is like, does it need to sound Latin? Is it all that all that kind of stuff. And it's just, like you said, sometimes it's just like, okay, that's the name. You run with it and you give it that meaning behind it through the work that you're doing and through the case studies that you're building up and then soon enough it becomes synonymous with that and then it just becomes a name and people's like, yeah, it, it made sense, perfect sense. Of course it did. So, yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, obviously you do a lot of work with a lot of big brands, um, big companies and you've had a lot of experience in the last 20 plus years. But then you also coach on the sevens football. <laughs> how, do you, how do you find... Which one do you find harder, coaching in the sevens football or dealing with the big brands that you work with? <laughs> there are a lot of commonalities between the two. <laughs> There's a surprising amount you can hit, learn about human behavior when you coach an under sevens football team. <laughs> um, you know what? I, I, I love, I love, uh, I love the coaching and, um, the uh you know some people find it really kind of difficult and frustrating but i find i find it quite fascinating because you know uh you know, i mean what i you know what i do in terms of advertising ultimately at the heart of what i do is you know strategic work which is about understanding people audiences and and how to communicate to, you know so I, it's a bit like an experiment when you're dealing with kids because you know you get them in all different kinds of moods and you know whatever abilities interest levels you know you're dealing with it all and it's a constant kind of challenge of how do you keep them interested, um, but also how do you get them to you know remember something and do something as planned, um, and it's just it's just a small little like um, uh, experiment for you you know to try different things, try out different things and and see how they work. And the great thing about sport is the instant results element of it. You know, which is it's which is is not you, you don't get from business all the time. You know, sport is kind of like you can try something, get the result, and then okay, you know, go again in a sense. And as much as we try and make kind of business like that, that is often the problem with business in terms of when we try and try and get too many insights and learnings on too short a period of time, particularly when it comes to advertising, because 
you know, too often we're looking at metrics and, you know, short-term kind of things and responses when actually so much of advertising has a lasting and long effect, you know, that kind of brand shifting effect, which is um, really, really um, a significant part of it. In fact, when you think about your, like your, your kids growing up and you think about their, their future, do you ever think they should go down a particular route or are you more interested in developing them to have a level of like self-awareness and allow them to explore what they want to do? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't thought about it enough uh, in a sense of, you know, would I like them to do this or do that? And, and that's almost deliberate. Um, you know, the, um, so, so, so I kind of like, you know, I, I think the answer to, to it is, it's kind of like, no, you know, I mean, I, I suspect, fully suspect that I will get to a point in time when they start to talk a little bit more about careers, where I'll have a lot to say about careers mm. and, um, and have a lot of opinions. Um, and, I, and I guess in terms of, you know, from my point of view, it's more about uh, them doing something that matches their personalities and their kind of expectations of that thing are accurate, you know, which I think is really, is really difficult because, um, you know, one of the problems that I have with kind of like um, uh, this whole subject of, you know, moving from education to careers, let's say, is that I think that, you know, even 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 in my own career, and I'm surrounded by a lot of people who have kind of gone through this, you know, we, we spend a lot of time just working it out ourselves, um, you know, and, and, you know, in a job and working out, hang on, okay, I could do this role, I could do this slightly different role, and, you know, that will change things a little bit. And people are always asking these questions. You know, even with 15 years experience in the industry or whatever, they're still asking these questions about oh, what it'd be like if I take this slightly different role in this company. And yes, your job could be completely different. It could be completely different. Your, your life could be completely different. You know, and I'm mentoring people all the time who, are, you know, they have those kind of like challenges and those complexities. And what's the right answer? Well, it depends what your personality is like and what you're comfortable with. It depends what you enjoy. It depends whether you like, you know... Yeah, you know, you, you, you want to do some kind of an international client role. Would you like clients calling you up at six o'clock in the morning and putting in that call at, you know, at, at 10 p.m. because, you know, you, you're, you're working with Asia? Um, you know, is that OK for you or not? You know, um, so it's so kind of personal as to, you know, kind of like satisfaction. And, um, you know, it's, it's really that, you know, we, we need to maximize the amount of information we've got about things before we go into it. That's the best we can be. So, you know, I think that... Um, you know, right now, I'm, I'm fascinated by seeing how their personalities develop and how their interest develops. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, bringing it back to that kind of sport analogy, I think it's, it's quite it's quite interesting because you know, I think you can, you, you, can, you can learn quite a lot from kind of like sport, as you can by kind of any other kind of you know, passion subject, let's say, for someone. But, um, but, but what I would take from sport is, is when people look at something like, for example, um, you know, their kids and playing sport people often have these ambitions oh yeah i'd love them to be a professional footballer or something like that whatever else and and i'm like they're saying that with very little information and understanding about what it takes because you know what it takes not in terms of the um the sacrifice and commitment but the chances of, of not making it and actually the consequences of not making it and the the unhappiness and sadness that comes with that which is which is which which can be awful but also the sacrifices made in terms of not doing everything else to do that one single thing. Yeah. So, for example, you know, if you're if you're on that kind of like, you know, if you are if you are uh, got an incredible talent and you're spotted and you're on that path and suddenly you're playing for England when you're under twelve or whatever it is, 
then you know there goes the ski holiday for example because then if you break your leg or you get injured and then suddenly you can't play in that tournament then you know that's you know, that's not good for your potential career so you cut all these things out and then what happens after is when you get to 17 18 you've missed out on these things and you probably miss out on that you know that that career in in, in football you know do you start to binge on those things or do you try and catch up in some kind of bad way of you know when when everyone else is past that element you know you're not doing it at the right time so um I think it's very kind of uh, wrong, actually, to have too much control and uh, you know over someone else's life in that sense. But I think you can um, you can give them try and give them as much knowledge and you know information as you can about these things, um, so they can make you know uh, good judgments themselves. Um, and I think you can also try and um, set them up with you know the right level. And that is a really important thing, the right level of security to give them the confidence to be able to uh, potentially fail and experiment and trial things. But also it needs to be matched with the drive to get things right and to stick with things and to commit to things. Because there's so many things that you do that are not good when you get started. You know, they're not they're not great. You know, I mean, I, you know, one of the best bits of advice that I give to people in our industry that I got was, yeah, well, media's a, media's a bit shit until about three years into it, you know. And, and, and I was like, hang on a minute, I'm having a great time. I'm going to parties with, you know, the cheeky girls and girls allowed. And it was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you're not getting paid anything for it, you know. Um, and, and that was the, the reality was, is that actually the job itself was pretty kind of like, you know, dull and, you know, you're doing a lot of, you know, other people's work kind of thing. And, um, and it wasn't that exciting. It wasn't that creative. And that's what you wanted to be doing. You, you know, when you thought about the job itself, you wanted to be given more responsibility and doing more creative things. And you don't get that at the start. You know, you've got to stick it through. You've got to prove that you can, you know, cross, you know, whatever, cross the T's and dot the I's and stuff and do all that kind of detail stuff. And you've got that incredible attention to detail. You know, you're consistent, you're reliable. You've done it time and time again to the point of boredom. And then it starts to get good because that stuff gets easy or someone else can help you do that stuff. And then you start to do the more interesting things. So there's an importance about sticking things out before they come good, before you enjoy them. And I think that every child has got to kind of like, you know, go through that experience. Otherwise, you'll constantly be bouncing around from thing to thing, never really having the good bit about that thing, only ever, you know, doing it for a short period of time and never going through the painful part to find the enjoyable bit. Yeah. I think your your evidence to that actually looking at your your story that you broke down at the start of this as well of actually sticking with something and going through the good and the bad and riding it out and see the amazing amazing career that you had. I think if I one thing I wanted to say earlier on was it's very interesting that a number of the brands that rejected you at that start point, you worked with them. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of gone like 360 and you've, you've actually ended up working with them in the end in a completely different capacity but running things for them so it's amazing how things just well there's some that have employed me and I've, I've rejected their uh, their offers <laughs> <laughs> so before we um, as we wrap up there's two questions I, I have one would be how do you define leadership just based on everything that you do everything that you've seen over the last like 20 plus years what is the key driver to having been a good leader the um 
What I would say is drawn upon my experience of the people that have inspired me as leaders more than anything else, I think. Um, and I think that, you know, the probably the key kind of like defining thing about leadership is, is, um, is, uh, being a person that people want to follow, you know, that people will, will go the extra mile for, that people believe in um, and feel infused and inspired by, that people want to be in a room with. Um, I think that is that is kind of really key um, because, you know, there are the technical elements of that. Let's say, for example, having a vision and, you know, having a, you know, being kind of organized and, you know, being able to you know, say the right things in the right moments. But actually, I think that it's, it's, uh, it's 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 a more important thing about the values of that person and believing in the values of that person. You know, for me, particularly when I've got close to leaders in terms of I was you know directly reporting into the leaders, it was the knowledge that when you're out the room, they they were championing you. They you know they they were but they were also making decisions that you would be proud of in a sense in terms of the ethical things you know the right things. They're pursuing things for the right reasons, turning down the things that you know you that were tempting, but you should not be doing because they were you know not what the the company and the and the, the, the brand and the proposition was was about. Um, you know, for me, purpose and why we do things is really important um, because I think that it's really easy to get to the you know the position in 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 work where yeah yeah you've covered your fundamental needs you know your, your business is yeah it's ticking along it's fine you know you're servicing kind of clients and you're generating kind of income and it's like well what next what kind of company do you want to become after that you know is it is it just about being the most profitable thing in the world or is it about being the the most purposeful thing and you know and and, and changing the world um, and I think you've got those choices and you know and a good leader kind of like you know stands for something and, and, and pursues that, you know, on a, on a kind of like a grand scale, um, you know, and it can be looked at from a few different lenses, but, you know, you, you have to talk about Jeff Bezos, for example, and, you know, he's been recently um, you know, in the press for, you know, changing his role now at Amazon. But the thing about Jeff Bezos that I think made him unique, which I think you have to respect, is that kind of relentless pursuit of satisfying the customer and putting the customer first. You know, those shareholder letters that he wrote every year when they weren't making money yeah. saying why, you know, why, why, why they had improved this and what they were doing for the customer and how it's going to pay off. That is incredible leadership because that is going against, you know, the people that are paying you and the people that are, you know, backing you and what they are all saying um, because you have a clear kind of vision and purpose. And um, and ultimately there was a, there was a, the consumer truth element in that meant that he would have had people following him on that mission because they would have believed in that mission. They would have believed in that truth. And I think that is that is really, really important in terms of leadership because, you know, people are different. Um, people have different interests in life. You know, for me, it's about that kind of like clarity and alignment in terms of, you know, the reasons why you're here in the earth because I could be working for you as a leader. I could be working for someone. There are, you know, a million different leaders that I could be, spending my time with and actually when we look at ourselves in terms of as individuals you know we only we're only going to look back at life and say time was our most precious commodity and i wish that i spent more or less time doing this or that thing and you know our careers race away 
Uh, and when we look back at them, we look back at, okay, well, what did I, who did I learn off and who did I like, who did I enjoy being around and, and how was that time? And you want to make that time as productive as impossible by being around inspiring people that are, you know, they're accelerating you. Um, they will open doors, a leader will open doors for you. They'll give you access to things. Um, but that is only if they, they aligned with your values and your, you know, uh, yes, yeah, your, both your values are aligned. So for me, I think that's what it is. It's about being transparent and having that kind of um, integrity, but ultimately being someone that people want to follow. I just love that. And the last one would be, what do you want your legacy to be? So I don't really care too much about legacy. <laughs> um, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of problem with legacy. I think there's a lot of problem with people's pursuit of legacy. I mean, you know, I think Walt Disney's still frozen somewhere, isn't he? <laughs> you know, <in> terms of- <laughs> he wants to be defrosted at some point so he can get that personal kind of like congratulations and accolades for everything that's happened with Marvel or whatever. I don't know. You know, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? The world moves on. People, you know, the beauty of the world is that, you know, new life takes over and comes with new fresh ideas and wisdom and thoughts and and bring something new and unimaginable you know it's beautiful that things get lost that things aren't said that people imagine oh, what if what would he have thought about this or what would he have done about that you know i don't i don't need i didn't call the barber shop the dina myers lamptey shop um you know i i think that it's a thing that you know one day other people can can earn, run and own people with the same values can run and own um you know, I think that um, if I really was going to kind of like, um, you know, write the Wikipedia page, let's say, mm-hmm. um, then I think it would have to be something about, it would be something about kind of like, uh, something about democratizing uh, the, the belief in your ability to be creative and innovative in yourself and reframe the understanding of how great ideas are made and where they come from. Something along those lines. I mean, let me, and let me give you a little bit more context to that in a sense. Um, you know, I believe that kind of like, uh, there are so many problems in the world that, you know, ideas and collaboration and, and kind of like a willingness to solve that problem can solve. Um, you know, that has been demonstrated by the, the what we've had to do in the vaccinations for COVID. The world pulling together to solve something. And uh, an incredible amount can be solved in that sense. But often there is a misalignment behind, you know, the ideas, the, the doers, and the, the willingness to make certain things happen. So I believe that... Um, Actually, it is kind of like ideas and attitude that kind of like, you know, are the solutions to most things. So um, if, if everyone has a little bit more kind of optimism and hope in that area and a belief and faith in that area, then I think it can it can solve so many more things. Yeah. That's what so I say. My kids are uh, uh, noisy again. No, that's fine. <laughs> no, to be honest, when you're talking about legacy, oh, everything you just <laughs> described around legacy and collaboration it's stuff that you're already actually doing anyway. When I look at 
the work you're doing with like Brixton Finishing School and all the other different um, businesses that you're involved with, which is around changing the conversation, getting organizations within the creative industry to actually take action, as well as still finding time to run your own business and to change things. It's um, absolutely amazing, absolutely inspiring. And I just, I definitely just want to say like, thank you for everything that you're doing. I know a lot of creative people that I know who are coming into the industry who are young, look up to you and look up to what you've done and look up to you as that trailblazer. So let's keep on doing what you're doing because it's definitely making a making an impact, especially when you keep on talking about ethnicity pay gap and things like that and kind of drumming that message in and in over and over and over again and letting it out, which is, which is really, really good. We're not, we're not, we're not going to stop there. Um, so thank you very much. I mean, there's a lot to do basically. And, um, if you have the, uh, the privilege and the opportunity to have got through in some way and to have, uh, got a platform, then I think it's your responsibility to use it for the benefit of all. You're definitely doing that. Thank you for your time today. I've absolutely loved this conversation. I've learned a lot <laughs> to be honest as well, as well as the way things kind of work internally, but I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Leadership. You can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them. You can listen to old episodes or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can just press a button and ask me that question and I'll answer it on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, share this podcast with someone else. We'll see you next time in Everyday Leadership.